This is the John Oakley Show podcast. Now, on the matter, you know, uh, when we find in the missing, murdered, and murdered uh, Indigenous women and girls that uh, there has been systemic discrimination, I mean, the idea that it's a genocide uh, seems to me overreach. But when you get to a point where uh, there are people, marginalized folk uh, and racialized people, obviously it becomes uh, quite incendiary. And uh, as I say, we'll pick it up. But there was another story I wanted to address before we get to our panel, and it has legal implications. It was a ruling before the Supreme Court of Canada on Friday that found that the Toronto police in apprehending a man uh, when they were searching a neighborhood, Alexandra Park, uh, out near, I guess it's Dundas and uh, and Bathurst, uh, they were told by uh, one of the security guards in the complex that uh, the individuals that they were seeking, one of whom was known uh, to the police, tended to congregate in this neighborhood in the backyard. And so they slipped through a fence, an opening in the fence, three officers, uh, and they came upon five men, and uh, four of whom were black youth or men and uh, the other Asian. And uh, they asked for ID. And one of the officers, uh, when he asked a gentleman named Tom Lay uh, what was in his bag, he fled. And they caught up to him soon and found uh, found that he had a loaded gun, crack cocaine, and cash, to which he was sentenced uh, to five years in prison. And he went before the Ontario Court of Appeal, and uh, they upheld that decision. But in a three-to-two decision on Friday, the Supreme Court of Canada ruled that uh, this guy was actually uh, accosted by the police for reasons that were uh, not valid. In other words, uh, unreasonable search and seizure and the rest of it uh, because, well, it was a form of carding, as they say. This is an interesting question because there have been dissenting points of view from the Supremes, and uh, some of those are rather compelling as well. But I wanted to get our legal expert in here, criminal defense lawyer Lawrence Ben-Eliezer, with whom I've not spoken in a while, but uh, he can perhaps help contextualize all of this. Lawrence, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm great, John. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on here because, I mean, when it comes to criminal defense, this certainly is right in your wheelhouse. So how about it? The cops, I mean, here's a guy, he bolts as soon as they ask him for ID and a question because on the pretext that uh, they were told some bad people hang around in this neighborhood and they went into a backyard through a fence, was that improper to uh, come up to an individual in this group of five young men and start asking for ID as a matter of gaining intel or reconnaissance? Well, certainly the Supreme Court of Canada found that it was improper. You might remember, John, I'm sure you will, that a, a few years ago uh, when I was on the panel, we discussed the topic of carding. And I said then, and I say now, that it is entirely inappropriate. One of the pillars of our democracy uh, and our legal system in particular is that we limit the ability of the police to simply um, interrogate people, detain them, search them without reasonable and probable grounds. In other words, the police are not allowed to just walk up to someone and and, and uh, detain and limit his liberty and then question him unless they have really good reason to suspect that he has been or is involved in the commission of a crime. And the nature of the offense is secondary to that right. So in this case, it was a gun offense. And the reason that it is secondary to the right of being uh, protected against unreasonable detention is because if we allow the police to do it in this case, if we allow the police to 
do it in this case, then the police, there is a risk that they will do it in other cases. And then sooner or later, they'll just come knocking on your door on or mine just because they feel like it. Okay, so it's a slippery slope argument. But here I'm kind of curious because uh, Justice Michael Moldaver and the Chief Justice Richard Wagner actually found the opposite. They said that uh, while this was inadvertent trespassing by the police into this backyard, uh, it was an arbitrary detention because it only lasted a couple of seconds. And once the guy fled, uh, the situation had now become a lawful detention. And that's when they found the coke and the loaded weapon. Uh, what they're basically saying is, what is the test of a reasonable person? It wasn't like they were... Uh, you know, unlawfully detaining the guy and uh, whatever. It was just a matter of seconds when they confronted the individual. Well, first of all, John, of course, three other judges disagreed. Three, uh, three justices of the, of the Supreme Court disagreed with Justice Moldaver. Secondly, a, an arbitrary detention doesn't have to have any period of time. Anyone who has been confronted by the intimidating sight of a police officer walking towards them with purpose. And I'm sure that these officers did not walk in with smiles on their face. They were investigating a pretty serious crime. So anyone confronted with the intimidating sight of officers walking towards them with purpose will know that it is not a pleasant experience. And if there is no reason for that detention other than the police just feel like it, then that becomes arbitrary. That uh, is what three justices found out of the five who heard the appeal, and that is the law of the land, thankfully. I think it's a great day uh, for the Charter. I think it's a great day uh, for people who find it important to resist these types of encroachments by the police. Well, all right. Uh, Judge Moldaver again said it wasn't that serious in terms of conduct infringing on the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. That well, well, that's what he said. That would lead to the exclusion of this evidence. John, and loaded. Are yeah. Are you there? Did I lose Lawrence here? All right, let me just complete the thought. Uh, when Moldaver says it's equally clear that exclusion of the evidence would swiftly and irreparably bring the administration of justice into disrepute. In my view, reasonable and well-informed members of the public would regard a decision in this case to exclude the evidence and exonerate an admitted drug dealer who was prepared to reach for a loaded weapon during a violent struggle with the police as not merely alarming, but intolerable. In other words, Lawrence, what he's basically saying here is uh, the fact that this guy bolted, he had a loaded weapon, he was willing to use it, he had the coke in the bag as well. This evidence does become, it's not... Uh, a case of just disregarding the evidence because it was uh, arbitrarily found, it it really has impact on the reasons for the police actually having a solid case to uh, apprehend this guy. Do I have Lawrence? Our charter. Go ahead, Lawrence. Uh, I know that, uh, well, of course, we know that Section 1 of our charter requires this balancing act, but the majority of the court in this case decided to take a very conservative approach to police powers. And you don't retroactively say, well, uh, the result justifies the means. We don't do that in our regular life. Why should we do it in something as important as the criminal law? And the court found, rightly so, that these police officers did not have reasonable and probable grounds to detain when they initially detained, and that they only developed those grounds 
once the uh, the accused fled. And at that point, it doesn't matter what he was doing. The police committed had committed an illegal act. And the courts will not allow that to happen and should not allow that to happen. Yeah, but Lawrence, if he just came up and said, hey, fellas, uh, what's going on here? We're looking for so-and-so. And then Buddy gets up and bolts. I mean, <laughs> are you saying that that's arbitrary detention and it's unreasonable search and seizure? I mean, he's given you every reason to now go after him and apprehend him. Well, I'm pretty sure the police weren't that friendly. And oh. as, as, uh, as friendly as you put it, John. These were, I believe, two or three police officers in uniform, armed, walking through an opening in a fence, investigating um, uh, the commission of a crime. And they, uh, I I'm, think I'm pretty safe in saying that they had a purposeful look on their face and not one that they would normally use when ordering ice cream. Well, it sounds to me like uh, we're increasingly, and I know you'll dispute this and think it's for the betterment of our society uh, and our liberties and all the rest of that, but uh, we're also hampering the police in uh, their ability to, I guess, act on a hunch or on the say-so of a security guard in the compound to uh, really want to go up and ask individuals what they're all about in congregating there. So that's been taken away from the police as... Oh, no, it hasn't. With the greatest respect, John... We are hampering them as we always have, because we, we value, we prize the liberty of the accused and the security person of individuals, including the accused, more than the arbitrary exercise of investigative powers by the police. We cannot have the police running around detaining whenever they feel like it on the one hand, and then proclaim to be a true democracy on the other. Those two things cannot coexist. And if you look at the history of decisions by the Supreme Court of Canada and the Ontario Court of Appeal over the last 30 years that I've been in practice, you can see that the trend is to actually allow the police to do all sorts of things because they act in good faith and it's not so bad. The problem is that that erodes the liberties that we must protect if we want to be a democracy. If we don't want to be a democracy, then let's just call it for what it is. Well, I found it's interesting because it was a split decision, three to two, in favor of uh, this ruling, but the two dissenting opinions included uh, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. Lawrence Ben-Eliezer with his criminal defense lawyer. Got to ask you about another matter, uh, this missing and murdered Indigenous women's and girls report that came out. One of the uh, highlights uh, that had been uh, suggested, I guess, leading up to the tabling of this report is that uh, when there are crimes committed against Indigenous peoples, there should be longer sentences. In other words, kind of a two-tiered sentencing structure. Would you support that? Absolutely not, John. We, we have a whole series of decisions striking down minimum sentences, creating special categories of victims runs counter to the basic legal principle that all accused who appear before Her Majesty's courts are to be treated equally, and that sentencing is designed to uh, reflect the nature of the offense and the circumstances of the offender. It is not the, the particular class of, um, uh, in this case, I guess, deceased, because today it's Indigenous women. What does that mean? Does that mean 
that the value, the, the life of an indigenous woman is worth more than the, than the life of any other woman? I don't think so. Well, no, but I, I guess think... the, well, the idea behind it may be to redress a historic wrong where the, the lives of indigenous women and girls were devalued. So we're going to, well, if the sentencing of offenders who commit, who commit crimes against indigenous women has been unreasonably light, then apply the sentencing principles differently. But don't change the sentence, because I am all for an even uh, equitable application of sentencing principles, but not creating special categories of victims or complainants. And I'm loath to use the word victim, as you know, but in any event, it's, it's not right to just say, well, if you, if you are from this uh, ethnic or racial group, then we will value your suffering more than if you're a member of any other group. So anybody who does you harm is really going to get hammered. That's wrong. That is completely counter to the principle of blind justice. Lawrence, it's... Justice... Go ahead. Justice is supposed to be blind, not looking at the color of a person's skin. Right, or uh, putting a finger on the scales. All right. Hey, Lawrence, uh, good to have you back on. I appreciate your insights and wisdom as always. We'll talk soon. Always a privilege, John. Take care. You got it. Lawrence Ben Eliezer, criminal defense lawyer. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio. 